A Supernatural Christmas. That is a cool title, you have to admit. I, I don't know if we always think about it that way, um, that uh, there's a lot of things going on in the first advent uh, that are above nature. Supernatural, we, we get this term uh, a lot, I guess, in movies and uh, something uh, above or beyond nature is all it means. Uh, attributed some force or beyond like scientific understanding of the laws of nature. Something that um, I don't think violates the laws of nature but suspends them. Uh, I think that happens. Uh, sometimes we think it's violating the laws of nature, but I don't think God violates them. I think he just suspends them or changes them. We see these, see this in the miracles of Jesus. It's, he suspends illness. <laughs> he, he changes it to not be debilitating. He even suspends death for some. Uh, but that's a picture of what's going to happen uh, eventually in the new heaven and the new earth, which we've been talking about a lot. So we're going to take a few weeks here and, and look at the supernatural idea of Christmas. Uh, we, uh, I've noticed that there's a lot of Christmas movies out there. Some of them pretty good, like Elf. The Nativity's quite good, too, if you haven't seen that. It's been around for a number of years. But uh, it, it's a time to think about things differently, you know, magic and all this stuff. And uh, we're not really shooting the magic. We're supernatural, I think, is a better word. Um, but what do we see in the first advent that's supernatural? And, and why well, you categorize it in different ways. Um, but you see information that's supernatural, revelation, uh, words of prophecy. You know, and when we, most of the time, a prophet comes to tell you to shape up. Uh, that's really what prophets come to do. They come to tell the people um, that they're supposed to be obedient to their God. That's the main thing a prophet does. But within that, it, we'll get these prophecies, and we're going to look at nine of them today, um, that show something in the future that then comes to pass uh, when we look at these. Now, there's other things, too. We're going to look at these in, in, in the next uh, few weeks. Sometimes there's dreams that gives this uh, supernatural information, information we would not otherwise know. Then uh, sometimes in, in, in the first advent, which is mainly in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, Mark and John don't really get into the nativity, but you get stars or maybe just star. Uh, we're going to look into that in a few weeks and see what that might be and what's going on there. And then angels seem to show up. We'll kind of end with that one. Well, we actually aren't ending with that one. It's kind of like our Advent candles. Here you go. Eventually, you guys know what this candle is? What it's called? It's not the green candle, although it is. It's a Christ candle. That's what we're going to end with, obviously, the supernatural idea of a, you know, Yahweh taking flesh in some ways. But today, prophecies that predicted a future happening that came true. Uh, and most of these prophecies, some of them we'll look at are just kind of talking about something that happened in the old time. And we're going to look at how many years ago, because I, I think that's fun and I'm doing it. But we're, we're also going to look at, you know, 
how some of this gets predicted and is really about that century that it's in, but it has a future fulfillment too. We see that a lot in Hebrew prophecy. So when you think it's supernatural, so what we're really talking about is a divine insight into certain future. There's something going on that God has in his hand. I don't know if you think about that. I do, maybe too much, that God's the only one that knows the future. The only way we can know it is if he tells us. And he, you'll see these prophecies are sometimes a little bit, even cloaked to some extent. Uh, but they come out, and how do we know they're true? Well, we find out in the New Testament. And it points back to it. But you, in Isaiah 46, this is a great kind of verse to think about God's sovereignty and a knowledge and omnipotence and omnipotence and omniscience. And he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Now, we've talked about that. How does he do that? Does he turn everybody into robots? You know, no, I think he uses the free will choices of people, but he knows what those are. He knows, uh, this is, you know, sometimes we, we forget when we're praying and, or, or, or singing, worshiping, even reading about God, we kind of forget how awesome his characteristics really are. I mean, we have, we're created in his image, and that's cool, but it's a dark image compared to him. I mean, what he knows and can deal with. You know, you think about when you pray, well, God, this is how it is, and this is the way I'd like it. And then you step back and start thinking, but I suppose you probably see it a little bit more clearly than I do. I suppose you see the bigger picture more than I do, and that's what we're going to kind of look at. So he declares the infant, he knows what's going to happen. Uh, we've talked about this at different times. Did, uh, did it have to happen exactly? Well, I don't know. But we know some things were going to happen the way they were. But nobody's necessarily forced. So nine prophecies that fulfilled the first act. We're going to be in First Samuel, Second Samuel, a little bit Isaiah. As we come through the rest of it, I'll put up there for you. But the first one comes 2,000 years earlier that we see kind of a, a, a fulfillment of this. Um, and it kind of sets there a little bit. This is back in the Abrahamic covenant. This is in chapter 22. The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall Possess the gate of his enemies. And then it goes on and says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is in the Abrahamic covenant. But what we're going to see, we have a few scriptures from this. We kind of forget this. But you remember, and we'll talk about this a little bit. Remember what happened when Zechariah in the temple when Gabriel comes to him and says, no, I'm paraphrasing here. Hey, dude. You're going to have a kid. Well, your, your wife. Remember what Zachariah says? Does he say, cool? No, he says, I don't know, dude. Um, how are we going to do that? We're, we're quite old. You know, he questions. And then what, what, was, what happens to him? Yeah, 
the thing all women want happen to their husband for nine months. They can't speak for nine months. Makes the honey do less get really long. <laughs> but what happens after that? That's what we forget. Uh, after he can open his mouth, he gives some prophecy. Uh, and it's at the end of Luke. And in there, it, it says, you know, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He's talking about the Messiah and a little bit about his son, too. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. We kind of miss this. He goes back, he finally can, and, and I think it's Holy Spirit driven. He's saying this, this child that's coming, hasn't come yet, but it's coming. He's going to grant us that we be delivered from the hand of our enemies and might serve him without fear. You know, and, and it's, that was part of the, you know, the light to the nations is coming. So he's starting to say that this 2,000-year-old prophecy is coming. And if you go right after this, I don't know if you knew that, but right after Luke 1 is Luke 2. And then you get the birth. So it's, it's there. You, you, we, we forget sometimes that this is all a Jewish book. This is all comes from the old covenant, and Jesus was a Jew. Uh, the first apostles were Jew, and it, it helps us to understand Jewish thought as we go through this. These prophecies were in the water back then. But then you go to a little later, uh, about 900 years, which is a while, um, about 1,100 years before Christ, in 1 Samuel, if you remember, there was another lady. Uh, her name was Hannah, and she couldn't have a kid. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it's kind of Hannah that you take Elizabeth, who couldn't have a kid. That was Hannah. And then you get Mary, who ends up, we'll talk about her in a minute, who is young but has a kid in a fairly unique way. Uh, but then Hannah prays after she is, has this kid and says, my heart exalts the Lord, my horn exalts in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in our salvation. It's kind of cool, you know. And I don't know if she's just talking about, you know, the, the, the salvation of having a kid or she's talking about something more. And it goes on, it talks about Yahweh for eight verses about he does two main things. He gives us what we need, he gives us what he promises, and he protects us from our enemies. And then what happens when Mary... When the, the angel comes, Gabriel comes to Mary, and she finally figures out what's going on. And what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord. It's the same word in Hebrew as exalt. She essentially starts the same way Hannah does. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So Hannah prays and thanks God for salvation, not just because of Samuel coming, but because he was going to be the one to point the people back, and that salvation comes through Yahweh. And that's exactly what we call it the Magnificat, because of magnify. Um, but that's what Mary picks up on. I don't know this. You know, I've told you guys, if you're studying the Bible, one fun thing that I do, you don't have to do it, is make your movie in your mind. How would this work? And in my movie... She just happens to be, now this is extra biblical, so don't, uh, she just happens to be reading Hannah's prayer when Gabriel shows up. I just thought that'd be kind of cool for the movie. It's possible. She certainly remembers it. Um, so she goes on. So again, 1,100 years 
this kind of points to that. I don't know what Hannah knew, but Samuel, we call it a type. He, he, he kind of brings the people back for a while anyway. Uh, becomes kind of a, one of the great prophets before the, the, the prophets of later times. And then you go a little farther into Second Sam or into Samuel, which is in the Hebrew Bible is actually still just called Samuel, but we've complicated and split it in two. But you you get what's called the Davidic covenant. So we've had the Abrahamic covenant, but all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed from this guy who's ninety nine years old and doesn't have a kid yet. That was supernatural. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, maybe not the nineteen year old guy, but the ninety year old woman. Look it up. I, I think that's not normal, not natural. But you get what's called the Davidic covenant um, in the middle of 2 Samuel 7. He says, I'm going to make you a house. Because what happens is David says, I want to make your temple. And he says, well, no, you're kind of a warrior, and I'm going to wait till your son does it, Solomon. But then he goes deeper, and he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which is a nice way of saying that you're going to croak, I will raise up your offspring after you, so somebody later, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house, and this is not so much a house, but a, a people uh, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hmm. So that's very clear. It's not, this is not going to be just one, one person. This is something that happens later somebody special. And then you get this in Luke 1. Again, Gabriel comes to Mary, and he talks with her a while. She gives her stuff, but he says, this child that you're going to have, he's going to be great, and he's going to be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the anointed one, you know. And it's so fun to say in Hebrew. You all remember what prophet is in Hebrew, right? Navi, Navim. It's not those blue people on the screen that's coming in December 16th. Um, that's a different word. But, you know, when Messiah is the name of the Messiah, anointed one, gets translated into, into Greek Christ. So this is, again, a thousand years. I'm going to do this. And then Gabriel comes in the fullness of time to this virgin in a little town called Nazareth and tells her that now is the time. You know, time is coming. It was prophesied, and now it's, now it's happening. You also see this in Luke 2. Um, if you remember Simeon, uh, that he had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, Christ. Now, that would be cool, wouldn't it? So that's why he hangs out at the temple. I wonder, you always wonder, he's like, he's waiting. It's like, is this the guy? And I wonder if he's looking for a guy and not a baby. We'll talk about that Christmas Eve. But you think about that. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And if you read on, and he, he, he kind of just, he doesn't go nuts. He's just like weeping, and this is really cool. My eyes have seen your salvation. You know, now I can die in peace and all this kind of stuff. So he'd been, but this is supernatural. How did he know that? The Messiah was coming then. They've been waiting a long time. Well, because it had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. There again, we kind of miss this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just hang out and then Pentecost show up and say, hey, here I am. 
he kind of, that's a big time, but he works throughout the people all over and over. And then we get into what we call some topology. You get in Hosea, 750 years before Jesus. So we're kind of working our way through the timeline. If you remember, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah were contemporaries. We did this a few years back. When was that, about 16, 17 in there somewhere? Um, I wrote a script where Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah were all at a Starbucks. No, they weren't at a Starbucks. But they're all hanging out together. They're, they're there to get, because they were, I, I don't know, they probably hung out. I mean, they're all from Israel. What else are you going to do? You know, they'd see each other at the festivals. So we wrote that in, that they talked to each other and that God was revealing things to them uh, through that. But one of the things is, this is a little odd for us. Hosea is about coming back, Israel coming back and quit following other gods. That's the whole thing of Hosea. You got to quit doing this. You know, I called you out of Egypt so you could be a people and have a land and be a light to the nations and you guys are not following me. And so eventually Hosea starts getting kind of cryptic and it's like he's talking about this and he says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I have called my son because he calls it the people. But as you go on, it's like there's something else going on here. It's like it's got a little of that messianic stuff in it. it, it it's kind of hard. The pronouns get weird. He starts talking about groups of people like Israel, but then talks about a person and says, well, what's going on here? Well, Matthew does it for us. If you want the best interpretation of the Old Testament, go to the New. And if you remember, after Jesus was born, they went to Egypt, and they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. So it's kind of cool. I don't know if that's the only reason they went to Egypt. Obviously, why did, why did they ultimately go to Egypt in the first place? They didn't want to get killed. Well, couldn't God just put like a force field up supernaturally? Or get some of those angels with the swords? You know, the ripped angels? Not the baby flying things. The, the tough ones. Could he have done that? Yeah, he didn't. He did that. And all this comes down, because what happens if you read Hosea and you look at Matthew, Jesus becomes the perfect son of Yahweh that Israel never was. And, and throughout all this, what you see in this is grace. You guys don't deserve this. I mean, if you read through the writings and the prophets, it's like if there's any people that didn't deserve another chance, it had to be those guys. I mean, they're not like us, never screw up much. <laughs> Yeah, I should have wore my I Am Humble shirt maybe next week. But you get that. This is the idea that there's something greater. I've called my son out. He uses a kind of a type. So Hosea gets there. And then Isaiah. And this is the last one we'll look up. But I, I had to do this one because of our heaven series. Uh, and Isaiah 65 is a new heaven and a new earth type of text. But I'm going to start in verse 17 here if you're following along. But the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, this one... I actually just caught a couple days before we went to print with this because actually this was going to be a different sermon. It was going to be eight prophecies fulfilled, but then I found this one, so we're up to nine. You might find more. Uh, text me if you find more, and next year we'll do ten, maybe. I don't know. So verse 17, for behold, says God, I create new heavens and new earth. We've been hitting that pretty hard in our heaven series. Charts are still out there, hot off the presses if you want more. 
And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. A little bit like Hannah's song, a little bit like Mary's. And so the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, here comes this older lady in Luke 2 by the name of Anna. She's kind of hanging, maybe she's hanging out with Simeon. Maybe they go to coffee here. I don't know how that works. But she's doing something. She's coming. She's a prophetess. A Naviat, if you want to go with uh, Hebrew. And coming up at that very hour, this was the time when Jesus was coming to get dedicated, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That just kind of sat there. It smacked me. I know you guys are just like flabbergasted. This is cool. <laughs> I mean, this is interesting. It's just, it's just, she must have been, she must have known Isaiah. But again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. A lot of people thought that the whole thing was going to happen now. And maybe Anna did. I don't know. Um, maybe she thought that the redemption of Jerusalem was right now. And the redemption of Jerusalem is going to come through this, this kid. Just not in the first coming which is what we celebrate, you know, the first advent. It's going to happen in the second coming, and we find that out from Jesus' words and obviously Peter's words eventually. Uh, so you, you've got these people, and it's really interesting the more you read this. I, I don't know if you've done this, but if you, if you, sometimes I'll just skim through a Bible book just to kind of get an overview. And then there's other times you start studying. It's like, I'm, I don't know if you do this, but I'll say, well, I'm going to read a chapter. I'll read a chapter. I'm just going to read chapter 2 of Luke. Four weeks later, I'm in the third verse. I don't know if that happens to you. I'm like, well, I want to know more about this. And kind of coming back to our Heaven series, I wonder, I hope, I think, I'll make a case that we're not going to stop studying the Bible when the new heaven and the new earth come. I think there's so much there, and it is, as we say, heavenly handwriting. You know, it comes from God. There's so much depth there. These things kind of jump off the page at you sometimes. And I don't know, I hope you get that sometimes. Where you're reading the Bible and you're like, wow, I don't remember this. And this is the first time I've ever caught this. And it was completely the blind squirrel thing. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't have, you know, you get that, oh, you know that, you know that sound. <laughs> I've never had that sound, but apparently that's what it was when a prophet hears something. Or, but but you get that some, it's not that. I was just kind of looking through this and I was looking at Simeon and Anna jumps off the page. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. And I just almost didn't put it in there. I'm like, well, I already got it kind of printed up, ready to go. But we went with nine. I think that's much better. But it's, it's really cool. She must have known this text. And then we go to the other contemporary, Micah. And this one we know. We, we know this one's about, again, about 700 years, you know, they're different time periods, but we're just kind of estimating. In Micah 5, and again, what's going on here? Well, in Micah, if you remember Micah, and I'm sure you do, <laughs> he's really worried about the rulers. The people of that time are not doing well. I'm going to talk about Ahaz in a minute, but what a nitwit. I mean, this king was not bright when it comes to following Yahweh. 
So he had to deal with him too. So he's worried about that. So he's praying and he's getting these messages from God that's in Micah. And the idea is that these rulers are not doing what God wants. But he gets this prophecy, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which tells us where it's at. There's a couple of Bethlehems. We don't really know where the other one's at, but who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who's to be the ruler of Israel. So he's worried about all these rulers, and he gets this prophecy that says there's one going to come that's going to rule, who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is, and again, I don't know if Micah knew it, but this is messianic. I think he probably did because he and Isaiah had to hang out. I see Micah as kind of like a 5'10 point guard, you know, good outside shot. Isaiah, I think, was post, big guy. So they had got together to play basketball at least, right? This is good stuff, this thing on. You know, you should be writing this stuff down. I mean, I, I, think, I, I do think Micah probably has Isaiah in the background there. But then if you remember, and we do this good in our production, which is 17th, I get that right? Yeah. Sign up if you haven't already. Sure, should be a fun time. Um, what happens? Well, th- th- we'll talk about these guys in, in the third week. The Magi come, and they're saying, we're here to see the king which is not what you want to hear when you're the king. And so Herod, being scrupulous in many ways, he, he says, well, he talks to the scribes and says, well, when, what, what's this king thing? What's going on? And where's he supposed to be born? You know? And then they find that. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and he goes ahead and quotes that scripture, which always has boggled my mind. These guys knew where he was supposed to come, you got these guys come maybe from Persia. Maybe they had camels and elephants. I don't know. They came in and asked about a king. You know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then you just go back to work. They don't go. I, I never, I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Bethlehem. It's not that far. I mean, you don't have to take a bus. You can get there fairly quickly. But they didn't go. It just shows the unbelief. Because they say, you go, Herod, you go. You go find him, and then we'll come back and worship him. And we find out later what that worship looked like, right? That's why they went to Egypt. <laughs> it didn't look too good. But again, think about that. And we talked about it with the kids. This is really cool. I mean, you can fake a lot of things. There's a lot of charlatans out there that use tarot cards and all kinds of stuff to tell you they can tell your future. But one thing that's really, really hard to fake is the location of your own birth. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, you remember when you were born, right? How much input did you have to that? You know, something's going on here. There's a deep, deep supernatural thing going. But again, it's still a little bit hidden. It's still a little, it's there. It's kind of like Jesus' parables. They're there, but if you don't seek God, they won't make that much sense to you. He even says that to, to people when he does. And then these last few we're going to do are ones that we know, so we won't hit them r- real hard. But Isaiah 7, you remember our, what was the term we used for him? Knucklehead? No, that wasn't it. Nitwit. Um, let me make sure I'm consistent. Uh, Ahaz comes and they're having problems. At this time around 700, Assyria has already conquered the northern kingdoms and he's coming after Judah. 
Assyria sent a cherub and those guys, and they're scared. They're at the doorstep. And Isaiah comes and said, you know, it's okay. It, it's all right. God has told me that he's going to take care of us. And Ahaz is kind of like, eh. And then he says, the Lord tells I, Isaiah, say to Ahaz, ask for a sign. Any sign you want, I'll show you this is going to be okay. And Ahaz says, well, no, I don't want to, you know, test God or anything. And I always thought, it's like, it's not testing God if he tells you to ask for a sign, genius. And that's why we get it in verse 14, where it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. But you're not going to do it, I'll give you one. And he's going to give the sign that we find in ancient warfare. You see it kind of in current warfare. It's not a good time to start a family when you're Enemies are going to come and take over. You might want to wait on that. So one of the signs always of protection is having kids. And so it says, you know, you could probably translate, the, the young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God's with you. That's what they're saying. God's with you. This just shows that. This is for back in the, in the 8th century B.C. But that was a type to show something greater. And how do we know? Because we have Luke and Matthew that tell us this. You know, what happened back then is that probably a young woman who was a virgin at the time gets married and has a kid because you guys are fine. I'm taking care of you. The Syrians are not going to take you over. But then something even more. So it's kind of a supernatural revelation, but a natural birth. Not so with Jesus. Supernatural revelation and supernatural birth. And that's what we get. And the angel answered her. Her question is, you know, I'm in high school, and I know how this works. I don't see how the kid thing is going to work here. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the virgin birth prophesied. And then where do we get that? Doesn't, Gabriel doesn't say that. Later, Matthew, this is to Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and have a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God was with them back in that, way back in Isaiah's time to show I'm, I'm protecting you, but so much more because he's coming. On a, and how do we know it's a virgin birth? Because they say it's a virgin birth. That's supernatural. That might be super duper natural. I mean, this is really cool. As far as we know, this has happened once. It doesn't happen very often. And it's, it's such a wonder. This is a big thing. You know, we sing the song, the creed song that says we believe in the virgin birth. Why? Does it make a difference whether we believe that Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit or not? Well, yeah, because the Bible says it. That's why we have a supernatural Christmas. <laughs> this is supernatural. I always thought it was silly. People would say, well, well, how does that work? How could a, a woman that never, you know, had relations with the man have a kid? You, you don't believe that, do you? And that same person might believe that God created everything. So he's got enough power to do that, but somehow he can't get the kid thing done. I never understood that. God can do this. In some ways, all of us, the reason you're here is because God thought it was okay. Because, again, we don't, we don't do that. 
you know, we can plan for pregnancy, but that only comes when God says, okay. That's the way it works all the time, but not the way it worked this time. And here we have this prophecy of way, way back in Isaiah's time from a knucklehead king, or excuse me, nitwit king, get it right again, that didn't listen. God works in mysterious ways. Isaiah 9, we'll hit this really fast. We're going to hit this later, 700 years. Light in the darkness. You get this. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is really, I can almost imagine in my movie, Isaiah is seeing something. Because he's talking like it's happening at the time he's there, but it doesn't happen for 700 years. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, the light has come. And you see that back to Zechariah's prophecy, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. As a worship team comes up, and we look at this verse more, you know, the whole gospel of John kind of does this. The whole gospel of John is about light shining in the darkness. And this, this is, here's your, you always, you always, I know you guys always want an assignment. Here's your assignment. Read Isaiah 9 and then think about what happens in Jesus. And because one candle can't, all the darkness in the world can't dispel one candle. I think that's, that God created it that way. And then finally, we'll end up here with Malachi 4, which brings us only 400 years before where John the Baptist is talked about. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So he's coming to stop that. And then Luke 1.17 again Gabriel says he will go before him. He's talking about John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah to return the hearts of the fathers to their children. He's quoting right from Malachi. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. Let us pray. Fathers, we look at all these supernatural revelations that are given to us in all these texts that we see in just this little few chapters in the, the first coming. We thank you for giving people what they needed, for giving Anna and Simeon, all the people uh, should have known. We have all this revelation as this Christmas season starts. May we believe in the supernatural. May we remember that you did this so many years ago, but it changes our hearts now. May this Christmas be one that we let the light of uh, your spirit coming from your son give us what we need to get through a time that we can look to the most important thing, our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. May this Christmas be one that uh, our hearts are in tune with the light of the world. Amen.